We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know. Welcome back, everyone, to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm Alan Williams. Of course, I'm here with James DiVirgilio. And this is the first Saturday edition of the podcast. So we're recording this on Saturday afternoon, just after the Ohio State-Michigan game. Uh, And so if we say stuff that seems strange because we're not in on the latest info, that's why. But here we are after a tough one in Tallahassee. The Gators do lose, but we're here to talk about it. Everything Gator-related. And we'll work through it together, like we always do. What's up, buddy? How you doing over there, man? I'm. Uh, we really wanted this to be a win, and if you listened last week and you stayed till the end, we had said, of course, that I will be heading to Qatar tomorrow, which will be Sunday. Most of you'll probably listen on Sunday or Monday, and therefore we couldn't get this podcast done from Qatar with any reasonable success. Uh, we've done it from Russia, we've yeah. done it from all other places, but we felt like that was going to be too difficult. So. Uh, the first game I will see will be the USA versus Iran, which is now a massive game. The U.S. Yeah, must advance. USA. And I was really hoping that the U.S. started things off with a, a, an excellent draw versus England. And I thought Florida maybe will pull off the upset here. I'll ride into this show on a special Saturday show, and we'll be just riding high vibes. Unfortunately, that did not happen. We took an L to Florida State, which is always frustrating. And we're going to break it down for you. Why did it happen? What does it mean uh, for the immediate future, for perhaps the further distant future? How should you feel about it, perhaps? How do we feel about it? So a lot of stuff to get to on this show. This will be a Florida State-centric episode, sprinkled in with some playoff talk and some other things, of course, with a lot of unknowns, because games are happening right now as we speak. It is in the middle of the uh, middle afternoon hour, so you've got Alabama taking on Auburn. You've got TCU smoking Iowa State right now. That's kind of where we are, so as we go through the show... We'll probably talk about some scores and some developments that move along. As always, if you like this content, follow us on social media, sub to our YouTube channel where you can catch out our film reviews. There will not be one this week, of course, because I will be gone. So sadly, I, I did every game this year but Florida State. And you can become a patron on Patreon where you can drop us a dono to support our efforts to bring you this type of content all year long. As always, shout out to B-Red, our producer, and Carly the Commissioner who did her last edits 
from Barcelona. Super committed Champ. to the gig, killed it. Carly, you get the week off this week, continue to enjoy Barcelona. And then as always, for those of you that are enjoying the GNFP Sammy and the GNFP Java Discord, thank you for that. I know that both Java and Sammy are really enjoying the discussions that are occurring there as well. If you haven't gotten to be a part of those yet, they will carry on, I'm sure, through the offseason. You can find links to them in our social media pages. Uh, perhaps the easiest one to find it on is Twitter. And with that, Alan, we did have a couple of a couple of new donors in this short week. We had mm. Tom Bowman coming in with a small dono. And then we had the Seattle Transgator coming in with a medium dono. And then, of course, James Ridge still on the throne. He was a little nervous that perhaps Barry Jenkins was going to clap back part two to get him. Uh, but he did not. So, James Ridge, you are still on the throne. Unfortunately for you, you took an L to Florida State uh, on your resume, mm. which is never fun. Not your fault, obviously. <laughs> but nonetheless, long live the king into the bowl season and bowl practice season, Alan. And why don't you read off, as always, so extremely well, our donor legends. Well, thank you. Let's start with Barry Jenkins, Guy Tumbleson, Cooper and Kyler Craig, Jason Walker, the big homie, Lil Payton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marshallisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rummery, Craig Scarado. Okay, let's talk about this game. Just setting the stage a little bit. Coming off a loss to Vanderbilt, <clears throat> you know, momentum leaking. This is a chance to recapture all that you lost against Vanderbilt for the most part and kind of move into the offseason feeling better. Doesn't quite happen. The game is wild. I I called the Vanderbilt game deeply stupid. This one was a little drunk, maybe. Um, just big play after big play on both sides. The Gators lose 45-38. Uh that's a much higher score than we predicted. And I think it was the highest scoring game of this series. So yeah, uh, that's kind of noteworthy, of course, considering all of the prolific offenses that played in this game, but maybe these were two of the worst defenses that have played in this game. All right. Although Florida state, obviously <laughs> on paper yeah. was a top 15 unit on paper. So in the they, ACC, they play but, in the ACC. Yeah. Thank you. I just wanted us to get that out as quickly as possible <laughs> so we can continue to troll the ACC right off the, the get-go. And uh, anyway, there you go. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thankful we got in our FSU jokes last week. I I know a lot of you enjoyed them. Jeffrey Hoy especially got a lot of comments on those. So uh, that was fun as well. All right, um, let's go back to the keys to the game. You wanted to see from the defense – a sub 60% completion rate and FSU is only at 43% and sub 30 rushing yards from one Jordan Travis. That did not happen. He had 83 yards and two TDs. And for the offense, you want to see 175 yards rushing. They delivered 262. Um, so that that'll tell you a little of the story of the game right there. For me, the defense, I wanted to see them give up less than 270 yard 200 yards passing. They did not get up to 279. And here again, the rushing from the offense. I want to see 4.5 yards per carry, a very healthy 5.7. And that's how Florida was able to stay in this game. They do lose. We predicted both 30 to 20. Exactly. Uh, of course, it is 45, 38. Um, this is a really fascinating game. A lot of back and forth, ups and downs, really compelling. 
How did you feel watching the game? I mean, I really wanted to win this game. I was in Atlanta with my family, and uh, my mom has become, shout out mom, has become a, a super football uh, like savant. It's pretty great. She always watched football mm-hmm. for a while, but now she listens to every podcast. She was asking me more in depth over Thanksgiving about 11 and 12 personnel and why Florida runs so much 12 personnel. And I'm like, is this, go, mom. this real life over here? We're having this kind of conversation. This is amazing. Uh, but I'm watching the game, and of course, you know, you really just want to win. And it's sort of yeah. one of those things where you set your expectations on, I'm not going to be frustrated when we do a bunch of silly, stupid stuff on offense or defense, because I know that we're going to do that because we've got a ton of data to indicate that. I just want to get out of there with a win any way that I can. And the game obviously was the worst of all for that. Because if you just get blown out, you're like, whatever, we lost bad, it's ugly. Uh, but it was right there for the taking they on so many occasions. And we expected that. You know, We had said that Florida, there was a way that Florida State could blow Florida out. But this Florida team, to their, to their biggest credit, perhaps the best thing on field that happened all year is that this football team always battles and always keeps it close. No matter yes. who they play, they do it. No matter how ugly it looks, no matter what happens, they get back in the game. And that is important. Uh, for sure, and that happened in this game. But feeling it, watching it, it just felt, it felt, there was a lot of emotions. It felt sort of like, you know, Florida, Florida State back in the day was the game. And you knew for sure while watching it, it wasn't the game. It's the best Florida State crowd that's been on hand in in many, many Mm -hmm. years. They were certainly reengaged. It was fun to hear that. But then also just in general, you know, there was this level of like, who are we, who are they? And I think at the end of the game, those questions still remain unknown for both Florida and Florida State. I don't think I can definitively answer for either team what the trajectory of their future looks like, and we're going to get into that. And that's kind of how I felt the whole game. is like, do I know, can I know what these programs will be like two or three years from now from this game? And I, I, think, I think the answer is no. There's still a lot of questions to be asked by both sides. Really entertaining game, but also, Alan, I thought a very poorly played game in most aspects. A lot of the results of the big plays were not necessarily because of they were they were a great play. It was oftentimes a self-inflicted wound by the opposing team, a lack of discipline, uh, something that you would not consider to be a fundamental execution of a play. And that has been something that has plagued Florida, obviously, all year long. Right. And it's college football. There's going to be a lot of that, but there's an extra dose of that in this game. You know, I, I had this thought, if you know, if I'm an impartial observer... Just here on Black Friday, hanging out. Let me just turn on a college football game. This is everything I would want more. Just intensity, back and forth, big plays, really compelling. And, you, and you're right. I mean, this team always responds. This reminds me of the Tennessee game a little bit. It looks like they might get knocked out. They come back. They hang around. Now, the problem is they let the game slip too much, right? And they're, they're in scramble mode for too long, and they can't quite get it done. Um. But they've been in it, and I. If I this may be my one takeaway, if I remember about this team, other than than some of the disappointing losses, what is that they always battled and they didn't give up. And I think if you're a coach, you have to feel really encouraged about that. But yeah, watching the game, it did suck me, and I, I thought I was going to be pretty dispassionate. Uh, that was fairly naive, I'm sure, but because I would love to beat FSU so much, but the the game was really compelling. And just when it felt like it's slipping, man, the third quarter, the end of the third quarter there was electric. And that ETN run to tie it up was everything. That was amazing. 
And I was like, they might pull this off despite the fact that they haven't completed a pass in about an hour. So really compelling, really gutsy that they they held in there. They were very limited at spots that, you know, at wide receiver, we're going to talk about that. But very compelling game. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the offense. You ready? I'm ready. I'm so ready. Okay. Uh, 50% on third down, 8 of 16. 1 of 3 on fourth down. Only one sack allowed. You know, a little pressure here and there, but overall, um, pretty clean pocket. Uh, 460 yards, very respectable. 198 passing, 262 rushing. AR, very weird game. You know, it's 5 of 10 at halftime, and it's like, well, that's like not a lot of completions, but when you have like a one completion touchdown, a couple other big throws with the success we've had running the ball, it's like, oh, that's a fine stat line. That's great for him. 5 of 10 for like 150 yards. Amazing. That's, that's probably what you want from him. And then the third quarter happened, and we kind of fell apart in a lot of ways. Um, did have three TDs, one pick. Yeah, his, one of his worst throws all year, that interception. Um, had, he hadn't turned the ball over. This team hadn't turned the ball over outside of that, you know, inconsequential Naquan Wright fumble. Um, and that broke that string there. Uh, he did have 10 carries for 41 yards. ETN, great game, 17 carries, 129 yards and a TD. Montreal Johnson, nice game as well, 17 for 85 and a TD. Ricky just got loose in the first half, man. He was electric. We needed him badly. Five receptions, 148 yards and two TDs. They largely clamped down on him in the second half. The only other people with receptions, Jonathan Odom with three and Dante Zanders with one. That should tell you a lot about how this game went. Uh, we were having to rely on Jonathan Odom in big spots, not just on trick plays where you leak him out for a touchdown. You're you're in deep. Um, so we're going to talk about why, what we're effective at and what we're ineffective at. Um, let's start with running the ball. Very effective running the ball. Very effective, especially considering the – and I don't want to use the word ineptitude – our lack of capability of throwing the ball, the FSU knew we wanted to run the ball, and we were still able to do it with great success for much of the game. Uh, ETN looked especially great there. Um, yeah, I mean, some nice drawn-up plays, continual effort by the offensive line to create space there. A, a lot of nice stuff that they showed in the in the run game, and – I was shocked, even in moments where Jalen Kitten is in there, and they have to know we're going to run the ball. We're still picking up decent yardage, and on a fourth down, they draw it up perfectly and have a big play. So very impressive running the ball. Yeah, certainly fantastic. Florida State came in 35th in yards per rush. Obviously, Florida was top five. Uh, you know, We felt like we could probably run the ball, obviously, with some success, hence our yardage totals and the keys to success. But I think to run the ball with this kind of success – was impressive, especially again as the game wore on. Right. Obviously, Florida did the right thing early on, game plan wise. We said they were going to face man, they were going to face pressure, and all year long we've talked about having to hit teams vertically when they do this. And and Florida had some stuff cooked up for this stuff, some double moves, double moves, double move to Ricky. We've called for it all year long, blocked it up front, easy ball, wide open route. And the reality was it was such a good route because Ricky's first touchdown, the corner is running the corner route for Ricky. I mean, he is all over it and that's what we've been talking about is why don't you use the extra time you have with this offensive line and then make another move much later 
and there it was for a touchdown. So that was a welcome sight. We tried it again later in the game. Ricky kind of got tripped up. I think it would have right. hit there too. Uh, but obviously, Florida's ability to throw the ball early through the first quarter in a few minutes, you know, we had all of AR's passing stats basically for the rest of the game. And I think that did help Florida's run game for the rest of the game as well. And we'll, we'll talk about that as this podcast wears on. But obviously, Alan, to your point, Florida's offense all year long with regards to the running game was generally excellent. We had games where we struggled, Vanderbilt, right? We've had moments when we struggled to run. But overall, coming into this season, for a football team who has not been good at running the football in many, many years, Florida is going to finish in the top five as a rushing team. Facing, again, a Florida State team, yes, they play in the ACC. They do not play the same level of competition. You could even see the size difference, right. I felt, pretty readily, Alan, between Florida State and even Florida versus the SEC. It's just a, We're just a bigger team in the line of scrimmage. Really, on, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, that was clearly evident. And Florida State was having a hard time really doing a whole lot versus our front five. So we had our way with them, even when Kitten is in the game, even when they knew we were going to run it. And that's largely, again, because Napier is so good at disguising where the play is actually going. Well said. He's phenomenal at this. We've highlighted it all year long. It's definitely one of his giftings. Uh, I think it's safe to say he's one of the best run game coordinators in the entire country. Very good at it and was on display in this game. And Florida had a lot of success. And that's obviously what kept them in this football game. Chunk yardage through the air early and then a consistent ability to run the football. Yeah. And really, you know, watching the first drive where we maybe they just were just setting them up where we felt like we ran the same three plays we always run. And it was like after we got the turnover, it was like, man, we're maybe in for a long day. We looked aggressive in the right spots. And then. Things really bogged down in the third quarter. We're unable to throw the ball, go three and out three times in a row. And the wide receiver problem showed up big, right? And I think the play that's emblematic for me is the last drive. AR makes a really nice throw to Caleb Douglas. He's there. He gets it, and it gets jarred loose. Again, that, that's a tough play. That's a lot to ask from your freshman, like, four-string receiver. But we just hadn't didn't have anybody to make those kind of plays, right? And if we do, I think we win this game maybe by 10 points, right? That if we could have damaged them more in places, we need someone to come up with a big play. And, you know, of course, AR needs to be more accurate on plays. But there's some plays to be made out there, and we just couldn't make them. Yeah, there were plenty. Let's start with AR and some of the plays that he made, of course, early on. You saw the high ceiling, which is what's representative of him being a potential NFL quarterback one day. And then you saw the very low floor. Uh, he missed two absolute bunny throws right. that would have been big, big plays. The first one is to Montrell when he elects to pitch it rather than just throw him into the space. You can pitch the ball there. That's fine. He also could throw it. No matter what, you have to just give him a catchable ball. I mean, Montrell had, on the All-22, Allen, he's got 40 yards of field until he's got a guy playing man defense with his back turned. I mean, that could be a 50-yard touchdown. And that goes as an incomplete pass on second down. That's the very first drive of the half. That would have that changes the game. Those plays change the game. Totally. You hit that play, you're probably up 31-20. It's a very, or 31-21. It's a very different football game. And the defense is going to feel very different. So he missed several bunny throws. Also, though, as we've said almost every game all year, the fan base seems to be really hard. 
It's Napier's play calling and play design. It's or it's it's all AR. He's not good enough. The reality is, and we've said this all year, it's a combination of all of these things. Florida is playing the passing game on hard mode and the running game on easy mode. And that has been a major Achilles heel for them. Once we ran out of those vertical shots, we missed some of these bunny plays, but the large majority of the other plays that AR had to hit were generally quite well covered. Was there a window? Yes, there is a window. Oftentimes there's a window. It's a very small window. The timing has to be great. We're talking about a redshirt sophomore in his 13th start. These are hard throws, very hard throws. Very difficult. Nothing is easy. And we've talked about this each and every game. Napier just does not have easy ways to get his quarterback back on track. A lot of these throws are not to wide open guys. And when there were a couple of them, he missed them, which is unfortunate. But that's two, right? That's two of the you know the, the 17 throws he missed. Um, a lot of them are tough. Then Caleb Douglas, you mentioned, right? Douglas is there. Well, that's good defense. Small window, great yep. ball. So I think it's it's a lot of stuff that went on in this game. There are a lot of plays left out there. AR missed several reads where had he come off of his first or second read, he would have had a big play. Uh, notably late in the game to Douglas. Again, he's running a go route. If he comes off of his, his two receivers, Ricky and an underneath guy in the middle of the field who are totally covered, he would have recognized that Douglas's defender actually fell down. You don't see this on television. Uh, he's wide open for a touchdown to score to tie the game at the end with about two minutes left. AR leaves the pocket prematurely, which is a bad habit of his, does not finish out his read window. He winds up running for a first down. We get a holding call. It comes back. But there's plays like that every game from AR, and that's not really going to be something that, again, as a fan, as a redshirt sophomore, if we put the film on for every quarterback in the country, they're going to miss some of those plays. So I want to circle back, and I want to come back to what I started with. You can't have such a small margin for error so consistently, especially when you know your quarterback struggles with consistency. And that's the prime problem that we have had on this podcast, Alan, all year long, is you know who AR is. You got to find ways to make these throws consistently easier for him so this stuff does not snowball. It's not enough for me to bury my head in the sand and say, hey, if my quarterback's making these really difficult throws, he's reading the full field, then work fine. That's not realistic. Find a better way. Find a way to get him into the game that is a little bit more simple. So I thought it was a mixture of a lot of the things we've seen all year long on display in this Florida State game. There were more plays out there, but there were also a lot of plays where Florida State was gloving up what was happening. And I think that's the key. Take that away from Florida's passing game. A variety of factors contributed to this performance with regards to passing. It was not just one player or one coach or one situation. It's just not a clean operation when it comes to the passing game. And there are multiple factors to blame. That's well said. I think the margin comment is especially fruitful there. When you miss big plays, it it should hurt you miss big opportunities, but you shouldn't have to scheme that hard to get yourself offensive success or have only a few of those per game. Again, if you're playing an elite opponent, you can't afford to miss those things, but uh, there's just too many times when what we're trying to do feels like we're, we're working against ourselves to be efficient or productive. And yeah, of course it's going to hurt when you see a big play blow up in smoke. Uh, it's going to haunt you a little bit, but man, this isn't the big 10 where we're playing like, you know, the game's going to be six to three and you're just waiting for that one moment. 
there's lots of ways for us to utilize AR and his strengths to free up more offensive success, especially when you're asking these wide receivers to be open when they haven't shown that they're able to do that or come down with balls or AR to throw into these extremely tight windows, as you said. So uh, frustrating to lose could have done more to, I think, make it easy on ourselves. And I love that comment. The running game is on easy mode and the passing game is on hard mode. Like we're, and unnecessarily so. Yeah, for sure. And if you're running for, as well as we're running in this football game, you should win. And, and also to be fair to the offense, right? We scored enough points to win totally. the football game. You yes, shouldn't have to score right, 50 right. points to win. But when your football team is not consistent on either side of the ball or in any phase mm-hmm. outside of rushing the ball, that's where we are consistent, right? Again, consistency does not mean every single game it works, but it means most of the time you can expect to get production. You just don't know what you're going to get. And that's what happened with this game with Florida. So take away from the fact there were plenty of missed opportunities. Dejon Reynolds, who played phenomenal the week before, Allen, largely silent in this yeah, game. no catches maybe? Had a chance where we catch, we catch FSU on a safety blitz. It's a little simple outlet pass you saw on your television to Dejon Reynolds. Ball doesn't even get to him really. Had he caught that ball, it's like the Montreal play. There's 40 or 50 yards of space. I and mean, we caught FSU in the worst possible play call there. So as much as we talk about Napier's kind of play calling passing game design which I think is weak he had moments in this game where he should have been rewarded with layup throws for big gains and those change football games they really do Uh, every point matters every drive matters so that was there but all in all the offense obviously played well enough to win there's things that could be way better I think the coaches know that the players know that AR knows that the consistency is just not there Uh, but you know a lot of factors led into this one but 38 points, none of which were really aided by a turnover or a short field per se. Those are almost all manufactured by the offense is a lot against a a unit that was top 20 in most categories. I know they play in the ACC, but this unit was top 20 in most categories. And Florida largely had their way with them minus one quarter, which was the third quarter. And that's very unfortunate. It largely cost Florida the game, but it is important to keep that in mind. And we'll talk about what that means for Billy. Should he remain being a play caller, et cetera? But it is important to note that's a lot of production and a lot of points in this game. And so if you're thinking we lost because AR missed throws or this and that, yeah, that's a factor. But even even with AR missing throws and with the offense sputtering on drives, they still had a super productive day. Yeah, well said. And I, I think that point is needed and creating context for this game. The fact that you could put up that many points with your limitations at wide receiver shows that there's a lot going on. There's a lot going right. And you should be able to win a football game scoring near 40 points, right? That that we could have probably gotten a field goal at the end if we needed it, right? In terms of field position, right? So you, you're you're looking, you're right in the door of 40 points. And I think you would take that from any game, uh, you know, outside of playing, you know, an all-time offensive team, which FSU is not that. They are very good. Okay. That third quarter, obviously talked about that being a desert for us offensively, three, three and outs in a row. Did FSU make adjustments there that really slowed the Gators down? So, you know, what's funny is they really made two main adjustments, but one main, main adjustment, which should not have really hampered Florida it may have instead hampered Billy Napier's play calling, but it's interesting. So what they committed to doing was playing a single high safety most of the time. 
they would bring a safety down in the box, either on a blitz into the gap or to spy AR on most plays. And that was a change from the first half where they tried to employ Vanderbilt's defense and they just were not nearly as good up front. We talked about Vanderbilt up front they played was perfectly. largely owning, owning, especially owning Kingsley in the center and even Torrance. And that's what led to their success. Florida State tried that and could not do it. Florida was largely blowing them out of the hole and therefore they were able to run on them even with seven in the box. So Florida State instead said, let's forget that. Let's go six in the box. Let's play simple. Let's just shoot the gaps. And then let's use our safety as our read defender. And to Florida State's credit, their safety did a phenomenal job. That's a hard position. We've seen Trey Dean try this to almost no success all year long. Well, he was very good at it. He stopped AR AR tackling one-on-one. He was successful getting in throwing lanes. And that allowed them to basically not give Florida a comfortable pre-snap look, but then also flex a defender down in. And quite perplexingly... And of course, Trevor Etienne's brother, Travis, was posting quite a bit on Twitter in the, in the third quarter about why Florida just kind of stopped running the football. Right. Because those are favorable looks to run the ball against. Florida comes out first down, they run the ball, they pick up two yards. Then we have the aforementioned pass to Montreal that should have been a humongous gain on second down. So that's a good, that's a good play call. You can't for a second say you should run it there. Then you get on third down. You know, you don't convert, and then on comes kind of the snowballing effect where Florida really doesn't run the ball to a running back for many plays later, um, despite the fact that they're facing a six-man box at the start and not a seven-man box, which they faced a lot in the first half and had a lot of success against. So that's an interesting thing. I'd love to ask Billy. They lighten the box on you. They brought a safety down. Now, which that does give you technically more space in the middle field to throw, but Florida's done a lot of receivers, in my opinion, I think it's quite evident that we're worse at passing than we are running. This is one of those games where perhaps you try to run the ball a little bit more and and see if they can stop you, which is what Florida did in the fourth quarter. They returned to it. I think all of us are asking questions. If we had stuck with that in the third quarter, do we keep on scoring to win the football game? I don't have an answer for you for why that would have been abandoned in this situation. Um, There's not a good reason schematically. Again, it's a lighter box with a, with a, a safety coming down instead of a linebacker being there. That should be to your advantage, uh, but it did not work out that way for Florida. Florida got away from it for a while and then got back to it, started dominating again. But that third quarter really, really derailed Florida's momentum and changed the whole face of the game. Right, and Florida's typically been really good in the third quarter. Um, You know, it's only really highlighted by the fact that FSU scored on their third quarter possessions, right? If we'd just been trading a few punts, it would have been like, all right, that you know what? They fooled us a little bit. We kind of got off kilter. Let's go back to the thing we want to do. It just was exacerbated by the fact that the defense, now with Ventral Miller in the game, which we'll get to in a minute, just couldn't seem to slow down what FSU was doing in the third quarter. And, yeah, you know, that Montreal Johnson, it's weird when these tight games, when you need that play, if you go up right there, Maybe the complexion changes. You don't know. Again, there's sliding doors everywhere. But, um, yeah, interesting the fact that what they were doing shouldn't have prevented us from doing what our favorable matchups were. Um, Let's talk about AR a little bit. That long string of incompletions that got a lot of airtime. Now, Florida was later on starting to have more success, despite the fact that we weren't completing any more passes. But... uh, so still able to run the ball effectively, but maybe just the psychology of that. Like if you've had that many incompletions in a row, you know, there's a lot of on chair quarterbacking from Brock Osweiler, who was 
I comment yelling every sentence into the broadcast. I'm not sure why, but uh, he he was excited at least. Uh, but yeah, just what that does to a quarterback. And is there anything we could have done to get him out of that funk a little bit? Well, I think we could have. I think if you're if you're charting his throws, he had you know three or four dropped passes, right. with, which I'm going to say is good defense. Like, but those balls were there. He put them in the right place, and then good defense by Florida State. A lot of others were just tiny, tiny windows. He probably had four or five reads he could have thrown to a different guy that would have been better, would have upgraded his throwing window. Uh, and then he had the two bunnies that he missed, right? And then he left the pocket early on four or five others. That he, If he sticks the read window out, he does get a read, some for touchdowns, some for big plays, and some for probably nothing more than a check down. But all in all, his consecutive string of incompletions, in my opinion, was not as egregious as it seems. And I'm not saying that to be an apologist for AR. We've been very critical of the things he's weak at, but this is not, this was not Kentucky. This was not that game where he sort of lost and it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. He continued in in, in clutch moments to feed balls at at least close to really good areas. And sometimes right on the money, Florida state made it tough for him. And again, you need those bunnies. You don't get them. But to your point, Alan and Brock Osweiler was yelling the entire game and made a lot of questionable comments and also made some good comments at times. He was sort of a mixed bag himself, kind of reflecting the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, was correctly talking about trying to get your quarterback some throws that are comfortable, that he can make. To get him into he was calling rhythm. for all these things that we never do, which is fine. And we never do any of those things. And we've talked about this. Yeah. Our quick game is abysmal. And this is another game where quick game would have been nice. They're playing a lot of man, use some rub routes, use a screen every now and then, right? Make these throws really easy. We never do it. We don't do it. It's, it's a major weakness, in my opinion, in Billy's offense. Uh, and you want to get your quarterback on track. And I'm not talking about the Bobo wide receiver screen we tried to run, which is going to be another loss of two or three yards. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about rolling out right when they cover the play like they did in the very first play of the game. We mm-hmm. just waste a play, right? That's not what I'm talking about. So there are ways to help this quarterback. I, I refuse to believe that there are not. And again, I think that AR as flawed as he is right now as a passer, as a guy who struggles with accuracy, you can win with him in the college football game. He offers you enough. I don't know how much college football Florida Gator fans watch, given a lot of the comments they make about AR, because if you watch a lot, most of the quarterbacks are not very good relative to the NFL. I love the NFL, but if you're comparing college quarterbacks to the NFL, you are going to be really sad. Yeah, if you're only watching Bryce Young or these guys, I mean – Flip over against anybody else, you're going to see a lot of variance. You're going to see some good, some really bad, some just bad passes or throwing into like, you know, oh, it was a three-yard out. Congrats, right? So some of that stuff that is no more pleasing than what we're seeing from AR. Correct. And a lot of times, in my opinion, you know, AR has smaller window throws that he consistently has to make, and he misses them plenty of times. That's not to give him an excuse for that, but it is it is on hard mode, and that's kind of the point. So I think that string of incompletions – Unfortunate, two of those are on him. You know, what easy on him? That's two. That's his fault. Several others, better reading on him. But a lot of the other ones were, hey, that that's tough. Not a lot of places to go with the football. You're under some kind of pressure. Make a tight decision. You know that that's Florida State was not making it easy on a lot of those plays, like they did in the first quarter when Florida got everything they wanted on the vertical passing game. And AR delivered. That's kind of the point. He delivered in those situations, right? I think if you could give him fifteen to twenty plays a game, short, medium, deep that are high percentage looks, he's going to hit probably 70, 75% of those. Not 90%. He's not Kyle Trask. But when he only has seven or eight of those opportunities a game out of 27 passes, 
what are you asking for there? You're asking a lot of a guy whose strength is not accuracy. This is not Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask in this game probably completes 20 or 21 passes because he's an NFL accurate quarterback, right? Different guy. So there's a lot there we've talked about all year long, but I think this game's important because I know there's going to be a lot of reaction to this one, right? There's going to be a lot of reaction one way or the other. Uh, AR is what he is. Super high ceiling, very low floor, wild inconsistency, but Napier is who he is thus far in the passing game, which I think, again, is making this very hard on the offense, in my opinion, with structure, with scheme, with design, uh, whereas for the running game, it makes it really easy. Right? He's allowing Montreal and Etienne to shine in the running game. It's, it's easy for them, and that's just not the way it is in the passing game for Florida, and it was on display again, and it ultimately, again, really, really hurt the Gators. All right, we're going to get into some Napier AR stuff. I mean, changes we like to see. I mean, we're, there's no game next week, right? We're going to see a bowl game. But anything that we want to comment on right now that's worthwhile? Yeah, just take away from this game what we said. The, the meta takeaway from this game and this season, we wanted to see. We talked about kind of being this being a Netflix season. It's 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 some faces we know, some things we don't know. We didn't know how Florida's offense would look. We didn't know how successful they would be. The running game exceeded expectations. The passing game was wildly disappointing. I think for anyone to describe this passing offense as anything other than very disappointing, didn't watch the same season we did, isn't looking at the same numbers we're looking at. And there are a variety of, 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 you know, of critique and blame points to go around. It's not just one person. If you put Kidna in this offense, this offense all of a sudden in the passing game does not become three times better. You probably have some more completions. You also lose a lot of the savior moments AR has escaping dead set blitzes right in his face uh, there's issues there so running game is easy mode it's sensational it's an a plus plus there's reason to believe it'll be good for as long as napier is here the passing game needs a revamp it needs a rehaul and if you're in the camp that you think that this offense is going to be great if he has all of his right players in there it will be better for sure when you have the guys you want that fit your scheme it's still on hard mode in my opinion compared to what we could be doing using more friendly passing concepts to get guys open easier ways to get them open so i think that is going to be the story of this season on offense the story of the off season and the story into next season mm-hmm. can we improve what was a major achilles heel for this offense despite having an offensive line that was relatively excellent in pass protection let's keep that in mind that's not encouraging yes and we're going to get to the, end of the season wrap up in a couple weeks here and you know, we're going to look at the points per game and say there's a lot of points per game in year one. And, yeah, still a lot to be desired on that side of the ball in the modern college football. Okay, let's talk about the defense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. 9 of 16 on third down for Florida State, 1 of 2 on fourth down. All right, nearly 500 yards total, 270 passing, 227 running. That's 5.2 yards a carry. That's pretty nice. They did have one fumble, which didn't mean anything, two punts and two sacks. Jordan Travis, really the story of the game, 13 of 30 for 270 passing, 15 carries, 83 yards, two TDs. And the really, let me go back to that two sacks number. That should have been more, and that probably changes the game. Trey Benson was really good. 20 carries, 111 yards, three TDs. Johnny Wilson, only two receptions for 46 yards, but he loomed large over this game. Made Both those catches were enormous. Um, they're both on third down, and there's also a pass interference for a first down on a third down. So every time they got him the ball or nearly got him the ball, it, it changed the game. Uh, really, I think people are going to remember those Jordan Travis runs, though. Um, spinning out of those things like he's Superman, I, I don't know, reminded me of Steve McNair playing the Jaguars in the early 2000s where we could never, ever tackle him. Bring back some nightmares there. That was bad. Basically, the defense gets buzzed him, by him. I mean, he's making every play, every big throw. Yeah, and... You know, he's a good player. He's a great college player. He's a good player, but I made him look like he was vintage Tim Tebow in a lot of ways. It, w- it was not fun watching that. No, it was not. And we said coming into the game, of course, that he is kind of like AR, right? He's His completion percentage was, was much higher this season, but we had talked about the fact that in reality, he's not really a very accurate thrower, but Norvell's offense generally makes those throws a lot easier. And again, that's something we've talked about with Napier. AR is a much better passer than Jordan Travis. Yeah, Jordan Travis has a much better completion percentage this season. Go figure that out, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's the offense, right? And I think in general in this game, you mentioned it, Napier said it. The story of this game, in his opinion, of course, was Travis's legs. And that's largely mm-hmm. true because of the plays they occurred on, that couple with Johnny Wilson, right? If you look at the third down conversions, more than half of their nine conversions came from Johnny Wilson and Jordan Travis scrambling. Florida had a lot of really good defensive plays in this game. A they lot did. of plays were clean, and just like a classic 2022 Florida defensive performance, the vintage on this team is they'll play some downs really well, 
negative yards, tackles for losses, and then they'll play some down so poorly and inexplicably bad. And that is what occurred in this game. And obviously Jordan Travis is, is you know, loving himself right now wherever he is, enjoying a bunch of highlight plays he put on where he then inexplicably would slide into the end zone, ruining his own highlight. <laughs> uh, that's know, a that weird thing. Great. I don't really understand that. Uh, but either way, we'll talk about why that happened. But to your point, Alan, uh, Jordan Travis was the storyline in this game, and it was not because of his accurate passing. 13 for 30 is an outrageous stat line. And again, these teams, despite the fact that Florida State's numbers are so good on offense and defense versus each other, kind of a mirror. A lot of similar stuff going on here, right? Uh, Different styles, for sure. But stats-wise, very, very similar. Yeah, and they came into the game leading the country in explosive plays and they were they had a ton in this game they are not let's see they're not efficient down to down but they make up for it by the fact that they will bust you and florida really couldn't match them that that was basically like you said we missed a couple of those plays they made them and sometimes it was it was stupid like the fact that we allowed them to do it uh and sometimes just them making a play and uh yeah, that's it's really hard to go back and watch this game because, as you said, the defense on first and second down was often very good, often very good, and then mistakes are made, mistakes are made, and this comes down to a lot of times rush lanes and rush depth, right, as well as setting the edge. So what I mean by rush lanes, staying in your spot essentially, not getting out of position so that Jordan Travis can just run through an open hole. Right, rushing past him is rush depth, right? Where now he's able to step up in the pocket and scramble out and setting the edge on a lot of these run plays where you know FSU is taking advantage of the fact that we're out of position again. So, you know, when the Gators got it right, they stopped them. When they got it wrong, they got punished often maximally for mistakes. Yeah, they really did. And you know, this is frustrating for me. I've talked about this in the film review. We talked about it all year long. On these third downs, it's hard for me to come to any other conclusion, Alan, that the preparation by the coaching staff was, wasn't as poor. And I don't know how you don't arrive at that conclusion because for the entire game, we inexplicably did not display things we had shown some promise in, but in this game, we threw it out the window which would be maintaining your gap integrity while rushing, mm-hmm. working together as a unit of, of down linemen to trap the quarterback and contain him. Well, I don't know if we executed a single scrape exchange correctly where we were letting, we were just overplaying the running back, allowing Jordan Travis to keep the ball with ease, much like we saw South Carolina do versus Florida. Inexplicable stuff. I mean, basically, we knew what the scouting report was. Uh, we, we rushed them. With five guys a lot, and we went on this very podcast and said, hey, you know what you shouldn't do? You shouldn't rush him with five. And we did it all the time. So we had talked about the the stage for this defense was that, hey, it's been a mixed bag, to put it as nicely as you could this season. Train wreck is probably more the appropriate term. We succeeded versus two of the worst offenses, one of which in South Carolina caught major fire, thankfully, after us, or that would have been another L, perhaps. But... This game was, again, a vintage Florida performance. Some great plays, horrible plays, very few normal plays. And that is not a recipe for success in a game of football where it's momentum, 
where big plays decide the game. And if you're a Florida defender, you're a Florida defensive lineman, there's so many plays you want back where third and 12 could have become third and 20 or fourth and 25, Mm -hmm. where you're taking points off the board, you're getting stops. Just didn't work out. And again, we've seen it all year long. Not a surprise. Florida State seventh and third down conversions at 52%, and they hit right on that number versus Florida. And uh, that, I think, is largely what won them the football game. Is Florida won on first and second down, plenty enough in this game to win the game, and inexplicably, yet again, gave up big play after big play after big play on just so many third downs. Yes, and again, if it's third and one, whatever. Just move to the next down, right? If you don't stop them, no one's going to like prosecute for that. Our... <laughs> We should probably just dig in the stats, next level stats here. Like third and seven plus, we have to be still just the worst team in the country. I mean, so many big plays for them came on third and long again, right? Now, there's some big plays that came on first down too, but the fact that the defense couldn't get off the field more often is really lamentable. And this is a very winnable game with how well the offense played, despite the fact that we just spent a while talking about what we could have done better again, 38 points should win you this game with this number of possessions. And it didn't. And, you know, I don't know. They're, they're going to watch the film again and feel really bad about the ways they kind of blew it in some really tough spots. And all right. So Johnny Wilson is, let's talk about him for a second. He's six, seven. That's a problem, right? That, I mean, you're probably going to, He's going to have some success on you at some point if he's that athletic and he's that big. Uh, but we seem to stubbornly keep Jason Marshall. He played well at times, right, and, and did a few things well. Yeah, it just seems like we didn't adjust in some ways. We never played dime. We we allowed our linebackers to cover their wide receivers. And again, that's going to happen some. But the lack of some of those tactical adjustments that we've been asking for didn't really come in this game either. No, and that's what's so frustrating. It's like, when can you not play dime? Let's pause for a second and talk about this. If it's third and two and three, you can't play dime because you're going to put a DB on in the place of a linebacker and they'll run it at you. When it's third and seven, 10, 12, frequently, third and seven, third and 10, third and 12, Florida's a nickel. And again, Mike Norvell, why is Mike Norvell coaching at Florida State, Alan? Because he was a prolific offensive coach in Memphis. He's Mm -hmm. an offensive coach. That's what he is. I'm an offensive guy. If you're a play caller, you are like, this is amazing. I get to go with my slot receiver versus a freshman in Shamar James or Amari Bernie. Every day of the week, I will do that. That also eliminates errors from Jordan Travis, who, again, a lot of people talk about AR's issue making reads. When Trask was here, we talked a lot about how remarkable it was that Trask could make full field reads. Jordan Travis rarely reads the field ever. He's so often throwing to his first read, or he runs almost every time. Go back and watch the film. Norvell makes it easy for him. He was still 13 for 30. But the reality is, if you're looking at Florida playing nickel, pre-snap on third and 12, pre-snap, you've already given a quarterback who's not accurate, generally speaking, that's not his strength, likes to run around back there. You've already given him the pre-snap match he's going to. He knows for sure I'm going to, if as long as I get protection, I'm throwing this ball right here because I have a slot receiver versus Bernie. That makes third down conversions so much easier. They did the same thing with Johnny Wilson. Florida, not one single time, wanted to shift the safety right over Johnny Wilson. 
like any other team would do. We've seen teams do it versus Florida all year long. Right over shorter, safety, right over the top. You're not going to throw that ball to your biggest guy. We don't do it. We play straight up. That makes no sense, right? So a lot of pain points and a lot of frustration points for how Florida handled this in so many ways. And lastly, the way that the defensive line was running at Travis when they could have sack felt like it was a Kung Fu movie or a John Wick <laughs> movie where one guy at a time inexplicably comes at him. And you're like, hey, there's four of you. Just surround him, right? And everyone's coming in a thousand miles an hour. And, you know, the Kung Fu master is just, 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 you know, destroying them in his sleep, right? It's like you always watch these movies and laugh saying that's not realistic. Well, it was realistic for Florida's defense. Not a single one of those guys showed any restraint of recognizing, hey, Alan, if you're the first guy there, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait till he runs right into me because he can't, he can't go anywhere else. He has to turn into me. Instead, Florida comes in, everyone flying like a chicken with their head cut off, right past the spot, right past the mark. You know, so, you know, you know what you're okay with him doing is off his back foot. Throw the ball. Throw the ball. Right. That's what you're to do that. Yes. This is the thing, and we've talked a lot about flag football. You're, this is good. There. Yeah. But this is the same thing that you teach every flag football rusher because it, this is how you have to do it. You have to break down, keep them in front of you. If you go flying up there, all of a sudden now your defense is exposed because he has all the time in the world because it's just one on one. You can't afford to miss. You cannot. Correct. And that, it's an interesting thing. When we were actually just a quick side tangent, when we were playing together as a team. Um, one of the primary things you teach guys who play tackle at a high level, college NFL, was, hey, a lot of your coaches probably told you to fly to the football. You have to erase all of that. I want you to fly to within three or four yards of the football and then break down. And then make this guy throw the ball. And I often wonder why in college. In the NFL, it's generally, it's generally much better. This does not happen nearly as often in the NFL. But why in college it's so hard to get these kids to do just that? It doesn't feel like it should be that hard. It doesn't feel like it. It feels like something is obviously missing. Um, but, you know, Florida did not solve that. It looked like it had gotten better. We we talked about it getting better. And in this game, it, it killed them. And you can't say enough about it. That changed the game significantly. And in general, tactics, Florida's tactics... So poor in this game. It's almost like we didn't scout our opponent based upon a lot of the things we were doing. And back to the dime thing, Alan. As if it's third and twelve, take your linebacker out, put a DB in. Florida's got tons of DBs. I didn't see Perkins play a snap. He didn't look injured to me. He got a lot of playing time last game. He's not out there on the field, but well, they he, have a lot of corners anyway. Even then, put Jordan Young in there. Put whoever you want in there. Right. Take off your linebacker who cannot cover a receiver and make them run it on third and twelve for a first down. And tell your defensive line, hey, you know what? He's a running guy. And if you want to play too high with your safeties, fine. Tell your defensive line, you know, what I, you know what I want you to do? I want you to make him throw the ball. we got six DBs back here. He's not very accurate. Make him throw the ball. Break down when you get close. Trust your backside guy to help you. This play is dead. But it's just like none of those things were ever said to any of Florida's defenders at any given time. We made the same mistakes all throughout the game. And that obviously is going to drive us in this podcast crazy. Because no matter who is coaching, no matter what's happening at Florida, one thing you never want to see are the same mistakes being made over and over and over and over again, Alan. And that's what happened in this game. And it's just, it's, it's to me, there isn't a defense for it. This is not a defensible thing at this stage of the season to be like, yeah, you know what, it's game one. Or, yeah, you know what, they're young. It's like, it was ugly out there. It was a bad look and it was not good football. Yeah. And you know, it's going to happen occasionally. Someone's going to get loose and make a play and whatever. Right. But we're not talking about Jordan Travis, the Jordan Travis game. If it happens one time. Right. It's that we consistently made the same kind of errors. And 
yeah, didn't shift into some more favorable things. And again, they're good at running the ball. If you're in third and six and you go back to dime, they're probably going to run it at you and pick it up. So you have to be careful there. But there's a lot of situations where just suboptimal. Again, I, I don't want perfection from this team. We could have given up 30 points and still won this game. That's not like a heroic effort. You're just at looking for a little bit more punch in those high leverage moments, and, and, you, and you win the game fairly easily, I think. With any with an average defensive performance, yeah. we won this football. Twenty four points. You know what? I w- we've been thrilled. That's not like a dominant effort. No, no. So even thirty, we had, we had Florida State at thirty, and that was and we said, look, Florida State's a good offense. They're scoring yeah. everyone. Thirty was realistic. Well, you win thirty eight thirty. So just a classic kind of Florida performance this year, where you just can't get all the engines firing. And yeah. you can't get off the field when you're playing really well on one side, or if you're playing well on one side of the ball, you can't score. It's just it just doesn't come together yet. And uh, again, it's more frustrating on the defensive side this game, just because so many things were bad on the offensive side. It's the passing game, which has been an issue, but the defense the defense was just right, and everything largely colored absent by the loss. everywhere. Yeah, everything is colored by the loss. Even if, if we had won, game, I, we we're still saying this defense is. Uh, we would have said it's a vintage Florida defense. We just survived it. Yes, exactly. But it feels a little more negative. Okay. Let me talk about Ventrell Miller. I mean, that was some of the storyline coming in, right? And I'm feeling actually a little chipper. You know, we're getting him back. Maybe that'll limit some of the big busted run plays that they they had in the first half. And he came in. At, you know, he made a few plays here and there, but the third quarter was in our quarter. You know, I, I don't know. Did, did we do anything differently? Did he look like he made an impact when he came in? He didn't. He didn't make an impact in large part because Mike Norvell hit his stride undressing Patrick Tony. I mean, he was just calling play call after play call after play call. And then when he got himself in trouble, Travis would get him out or Johnny Wilson would get him out. And that's what that's what largely happened, right? Is he'd hit he'd hit several good play calls on the drive. Florida would have two really good plays. Third down and 10 or 12, let's get up the field. Travis gets away, someone gets away, something happens. But I think they largely were able to neutralize Ventrell Miller because Ventrell Miller is not a good third down linebacker. We've said that. He's not. They confused him several times on plays where he blew a coverage. They took advantage of his weaknesses and they did not run the ball at him. They were able to basically game plan around him uh, and hit the rest of Florida's weaknesses. Tradeen, Trevez. They were targeting Tradeen and Trevez on almost every play. Yeah. And then they targeted Jason Marshall with go routes with Johnny Wilson, who's 6'7". I mean, that was it was evident what their game plan was. Then they knew when they needed it, they could get some underneath stuff, tight end, running back here and there, enough to keep Florida off balance. But I thought they did a really nice job in the second half keeping Florida's defense completely off balance. To yeah. your point, Alan, they're getting... And again, I want to I highlight this. A lot of Travis's completions, the why they're for so many yards, they're not over-the-top passes. He had one. They're like 10-yard underneath passes. The guy runs for 40 yards. Because we're blowing coverages and people are wide open. Those are easy throws. Uh, so, you know, credit, I think, to Norvell for, for messing Florida up. They, they also came out in stack sets, which is a very normal football set. And the first half, Florida had no idea how to defend it. They were, they were having the back guy come downhill and try to guard the back of the stack, which is, which is bizarre after having the front guy kind of like chuck and release them and this led to multiple blown coverages versus the stack they fixed in the second half but again these are like kind of obvious things and you look at sometimes what florida chooses to do and it doesn't make any sense to you 
Uh, and, and I thought that was the difference is that Ventrell, I thought could have made a difference in this football game, but the reality was, you know, we, we talked about the numbers for their running back he had 111 yards. He had 60 of those yards after the second drive. So Florida did a pretty good job limiting their traditional running game. Like on most plays, pretty solid. But to your point, Alan, Florida State chunked Florida on almost every drive, multiple times per drive. And that's not sustainable, obviously, as a defense. Right. And, you know, again, good offenses off balance you and they trick you and they hit plays on you. And yeah, I'm not looking for, you know, a shutout or. You know, you get six points, and that's it. This isn't like a 2008 Florida team, right? It's just when you get burned by some of the similar stuff and you are out of position again. It's just frustrating. Um, And, yes, as you said, it didn't seem like Ventrell was not fixing the problem. They were just, as you said, that's a good way to talk about working around him. All right, there's another guy who got a lot of snaps here because of Rashad Torrance not playing in this game. Kamari Wilson, right? So... Lots of calls for him to play, often over Trey Dean, which apparently the staff doesn't see Kamari as the strong safety. They see him as a free safety, so he's been the backup to Torrance, right? And apparently we don't have another strong safety in the team ever at all that can play. Well, we'll see what happens next we year. We know that we have some, but evident, evidently Trey Dean can do whatever he wants. He can hold, he can pass interfere, he can get burned. He just he continues to play. True. All right, thoughts on Kamari's performance? It was fine. You didn't see his name get called too often. I mean, they really weren't targeting him right. as a free safety. A few he, bad angles here, you know. I like, mean, some, some classic sure. freshman stuff, yeah. but I think all in all, he was fine. I think where you may have missed him some is obviously Torrance is, is has a very good feel for reading the play. And it, it generally, when Torrance shows up on film in the wrong way, it's because he's, he's missed a tackle. Kind of an undersized guy, but he'll still be there, right? He's, he'll be there. And you did not see Kamari Wilson making a lot of tackles in this game. No. And that's just, that's hard. It's difficult. It's Things are moving super fast at you. Um, so I thought he looked fine. Yeah, it wasn't exemplary. But he, was, he was fine for a freshman playing at that level against an offense that's rolling. Mike Norvell's offense is very hard to defend. Lots of different sets. They go quick. There's no huddle. Hard to communicate against. I thought he was perfectly fine. Nothing about his play would be concerning. How about that? For his future development. Uh, he also didn't look like he was, you know, the world's greatest safety out there, but they didn't target him in the passing game very often. He was really unable to kind of come and help them on a lot of their passing plays. They weren't plays the safety could help on. So I think it's hard to grade him here, but I think he was fine. Yeah, you know, there's a play where I forget who it was, gets beat deep and they don't complete the pass, but he gets on top of Kamari. And I was like, well, I need to be careful here because Torrance is normally on top of that route. Correct. He got underneath it. Yep. Uh, there's a play where he takes a bad angle and when Benson scored, I think it was his last touchdown. So some stuff that happens, right? But yeah, he wasn't consequential. But he wasn't making plays either. And I don't know if the game, if the game was the game for him to make plays in. But I, you know, I, I think you'll take that from him right now, at least, right? That he, as a freshman, wasn't getting abused in that game. No, not at all. And he generally lines up correctly, yeah. plays correctly. You know, so there's a play where Trey Dean gets beat on a stack route in the second half where he's late, not paying attention, gets torched on the post route. And then Trey Dean kind of tries to blame Kamari Wilson, but you can see Kamari is immediately animated and you know, who I'm going to think is correct in this situation. Right. Uh, and is trying to explain to Trey Dean, that's not what we were in. Like, what, what are you doing? You know? Uh, and so by and large, that's what you want to see. Here's your super senior. Who's almost frequently in the middle of conversations about who should be lined up where. And here's your freshman who I think is competently jumping routes and doing things that, aren't showing up on film a lot because he's doing his job. 
taking stuff away. And, and look, as a single high free safety, by the way, you saw Florida State's guys start to show up a lot. And we'll talk about this in a second with Florida State because we kind of missed over it. But that's pretty rare in the modern game of football because generally teams are so good at if you go single high, your safety, and we've talked about this, your safety is irrelevant. He's irrelevant. And the reason he was relevant was because AR started doing what AR does when he's not hitting passes, which is he starts staring down receivers, stops moving the safety with his eyes. So he's playing cover one, Florida's running four verticals. He looks right at Douglas. Those are perfect pass, except the safety's able to get there. The safety should never be able to get there. All he has to do is prick his pre-snap matchup, Allen, look to the left, move the safety over to the hash mark, snap to the right, throw the same ball. Uh, but that's not what Florida State was doing. So there's just not a well, this was not a game, to your point, where Kamari Wilson was really going to shine. There's a few plays here and there he could have been better at, but let's put it this way. Kamari Wilson had nothing to do with Florida losing this game on defense. That's That was not nothing to do with the safety in this game, right? He's not going to beat over top. They're not, they're not just bombing us. This game was won up front by them, was won by the fact that they, they handled our pressure really well, and obviously they abused Trevez and Trey Dean, and then again, tactically, Jason Marshall. All right, there's a lot of changes we'd like to see. Maybe we'll save some of those for the future discussion here. Um, we've talked a lot about tactically what we'd like to see. Anything else you want to add before we move to special teams? Yeah, just this was a failure tactically, right? We had pleaded and hoped that we were going to see some evidence this game that this staff was more tactical. And all it did was cement the fact that they're anything but tactical. And I don't want to say that reactionarily. It's been a whole season now. We've talked about it almost from the beginning. And we've been holding out hope that this would occur. Uh, this is frustrating for me. This is It's hard to defend this. I'm not going to defend that our job is to be independent consultants here. I don't want to jump ahead of the data but it's a full season is underneath us now, and there's way too many instances where we are being anything but tactical, uh, and that's that's frustrating. And we'll talk about what Florida can and should do to probably fix this problem in obviously later episodes this winter, but for now, uh, I'm frustrated with the tactics employed on the defensive end of the football. All right, let's talk about special teams. Better effort for them this week. Adam Mahalik, one of one in field goals, did kick one out of bounds late, which crucial time very to kick hurt. one out of bounds, right? Very hurt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe Florida staff should be vindicated on the return yardage here. Having switched to ETN, he's very effective. A lot of yards in returns here. And there's a moment where I think Trevez fair catches one. And I, I'm imagining the conversation where ETN's like, hey, what are you doing? I, that was a returnable kick. And, you know, again, that, that's not the story of the game there by any means, but just shows that we are we had something there with him returning kicks. And maybe this is what the staff was hoping for at the beginning. They just didn't have the right guy. But he's a weapon back there. I mean, we're, we're routinely, routinely picking up 10, 20 yards and returns there. Well, and that's what we were saying, right, with, with the silver lining all year long is that Napier's guys have been the best guys on the team. ETN is sensational. I had said after the Georgia game that he was the best player on the field for either team. And I stand by that again. I, I think he was the best player on the field for either team in this game. He's electric. He makes every team he plays look the same. Georgia's defenders, Florida State's defenders, LSU's defenders. Everyone's defenders looks the same, Alan. And that's when you know that you are playing the game at a very high level. And I can't say enough positive things about ETN. Add to the fact he can take these kicks back like he is. And that's part of the silver lining we're going to talk about is Billy is a very systematic guy. We have said this from the start. 
I have to believe that Billy thinks when he gets his guys in here, all these strategies he has will work. Billy is also a rookie in the SEC. Being an assistant coach is not the same as being the head coach, right? So I do think, as we're going to talk about in our kind of season wrap-up episode, what should he be examining strategically and where can he be more tactical? Because there is such a thing as being too strategic in the long run and not tactical enough in the short run that causes you to lose the war, so to speak. But the fact that ETN became a kick returner, right, was a was right. The fact that Ricky Pearsall became the punt returner was right. And I think it also tells you that that's how he views special teams. He's not a floor special teams guy. He's not what we've seen before with Dan Mullen, fair catch everything, right? Dan's on record saying, hey, I really don't, I just want the ball back. And I think that Napier does believe special teams does matter. And again, Florida, we lack electric playmakers. We have basically one, ETN. And Ricky Pearsall is not really an electric playmaker. He's a good receiver. He's a really got, great guy to have in your team, but you, you really want him as a, a two or a three. Yeah, and he's solid. I mean, that's taking nothing away from him, Yeah. right? But ETN, if you have six of those guys, which is what Napier is going for, very different football team. So we'll see what happens. But either way, to your point, Alan, this was probably the best special teams game we had had in many games outside of the one ball kicked out of bounds. We actually dominated Florida State with that regard. Punts, punts, punt returns, kick returns, everything, field goals made. Uh, minus the one kick out of bounds. Okay, coaching decisions. I mean, there's a there's a pattern here. We met, we talk about this type of thing every week. This was different though, yes, right? but because still, we weren't the May Day. Well, it, I think right. it illustrates, and this is still wrong, but it does illustrate how much we talked about Billy Napier's fear of the May Day scenario, where the opposing team gets the ball in the second half as something he needs to take a long, hard look at here during bowl season and the off season, but. In this half, Florida was getting the ball back. Mm-hmm. So we get the ball with four minutes left. So it's a perfect four-minute drill situation. You ideally want to drive down the field, and you want to score with little to no time left, and then get the ball back again, right? Teams practice this all the time. So Florida does this really well. We're actually on the 20-25 yard line. There's one minute left. It's first down. Perfect. We are in control of the situation. Florida State does have three timeouts left, though. So Florida State can choose to try to get the ball back as they see fit. On first down, we run a play that winds up being complete. Ball should have not been thrown to Ricky in a corner route. It does incomplete. Second down, we run the football. It's a light box. It's a five-man box. It's a good play by Napier. We do not execute, unfortunately, up front in the O-line. Two-yard gain, 55 seconds left. Timeout's called. I'm sure you were like me, Alan, and you thought, yeah, Florida State called a timeout. Yep. Then you see Florida call a timeout. And then all I'm thinking is, how can a guy who prides himself on analytics be doing things that are so against the analytics? And I don't have an answer to that question. We've been unable to answer what he's doing. But here he goes again, doing it again. Timeout. In that scenario, you want to let the clock run. And if Florida State doesn't take a timeout, it's going to be third down for you. Let it run all the way down to about 25-ish seconds. So when you run your play... If you get a first down, you still have time for two more plays, and the worst, you get a field goal, right? If your offense is really humming along, let it run and run your play. So we call timeout on third down. We don't get it. Kick a field goal. Florida State gets the ball back. Now, here's what I love. Does Florida State go all Billy Napier, down three, and run the ball? No. They pass it three times in a row, punt the ball back to us with 16 seconds left. We then run a running play where we almost fumble the snap and go to the half. 
But the whole thing, yeah. right? The whole thing. So, so just senseless. Well, he did a different version of this where he's applying different methodology. I think in the, I believe it was the South Carolina game where we kind of get to the midfield and we kind of like, all right, we start bleeding the clock rather than being aggressive with it. And then we get down to like a one play scenario. We don't kick the field goal. We line up and then we, you know, don't get the Hail Mary off. Feels like tactically he misapplies or misunderstands certain things, or maybe is a trying to attempt things or panics or whatever. Maybe just has a, not a great feel for how to handle that. That's definitely a place for improvement. And so here's the, here's the big question is if he's just the coach and he's not the offensive coordinator, the quarterback coach on the field, the play caller, perhaps he's more dialed in to Mm -hmm. what's happening. And here's what I want to go with this. I think second down happens. He's not really necessarily ready. It's total speculation for what he perhaps wants his third down call to be. And it's like a reactionary timeout, which is horrific if that's the case. But bottom line, this is a major area that Napier needs to look into for improvement. He needs to take a hard look in the mirror and either get someone in his headset, outsource that. Hey, Alan, you're going to be my guy. You're in the booth. Your sole job is to buzz into my headset and say to me, hey, coach, do not take a timeout here. Let it ride. Get your play ready, right? That's it. Simple. Just follow a strategist lead who you trust to get the EV right. This is not complicated. NFL coaches do it all the time. Right. And just where, or the other side is like, hey, the clock is working against you. If, if you let them run three times here, you're not going to get the ball back and you start calling timeouts. Right? Exactly. So, just get in your ear and get, get them ready for it. Hey, get your yeah. plays ready. We're going to have to wind up doing these things. Here's the plan. You know, we're not, we're not in a situation where we're going to call timeouts. Whatever the case is, get that right because we're getting it way wrong. All right. Second scenario comes first before we get to the end of the game. Florida has done a lot of what you're going to call unproductive timeouts or a wasted timeout, a lot of them. And in this game, Allen, it hurt us bad. We should have had all three timeouts left because every single timeout we took before the end of the game was an unproductive timeout because the play clock ran down. We didn't like our play. We didn't like our defensive personnel, which is inexplicably not ready to be on the field during a big third or fourth down. That stuff kills you. These are really important management issues. And here we are at the end of the season with a coach who prides himself. Again, he prides himself on analytics. We're going to be an analytic coach. We're going to do things in a forward-thinking way. And it just doesn't look like it. Those are those are against against the analytics to be taking unproductive timeouts in those situations. And had Florida had them, the end of the game could have been different, at least with attempt-wise, but we blew through that. Right, and... There's a moment where we couldn't use our last timeout where it's fourth down. Anthony Richards has to go off the field and you have a fourth down play with your backup quarterback in. Now we pick it up, but man, if you had three timeouts, you probably use one right there because of an odd moment in the game. It's nobody's fault. You have to do it potentially, or maybe doesn't, maybe he's confident in whatever they're showing us, but you'd like to have the opportunity there where you're not burning your very last timeout. And, yeah, this is an area, it's not always bad, but it's frequently misapplied or frustrating. And the good news here is Urban Meyer himself was rather terrible in year one of doing this. And he came off the heels of being undefeated at Utah. In the SEC, he struggled. He was not a good time manager in the second half. He got much, much better. For Napier, we're not saying this is the nail in the coffin. He can't ever do it, but he needs to fix it is what we're saying. And lastly, the end of the game, Florida gets the ball. Not a lot of urgency, but again, yeah. a four-minute drill here. You're down seven. Florida State's been scoring on you all the time. 
there's two thoughts you have here. One is you go fast and you try to score very quickly because then you tie the game, you stop them, you get the ball back. Or you don't get it, you punt, you stop them, you get the ball back. But we've seen that Billy prefers for sure to just give himself one chance at this. Now, if it works, it's beautiful, right? It didn't work. There was no urgency. It wound up being just fine. Florida had plenty of time when they got down to the 30-yard line. And I'm not going to say that one is more right than the other because it's not. This is going to be game by game. Sometimes you want to run that four-minute offense, drain it all out, do not give the ball back, score at the very end, go to overtime or go for two. And sometimes you say, I want to get a second shot here. I think I could stop them on defense. Let's give myself as many chances as I can get. Let's run this like a one-minute drill. Yeah, I think with our timeout situation and the way that we were needing to pick up yards running the ball. Now, again, we weren't able to run it. They they had us on that a couple times early. But I, I like the four-minute drill for us more than the hurry-up, considering what our weapons were at the time. So I don't have a problem with that. I wanted a little bit more urgency just to get up on the ball. To You can snap it if you want to, if you need to go faster. You can bleed that clock later if you want to. Um, now, again, we got down there. If that pass to Caleb Douglas is complete, we're on like the five-yard line with, I don't know, less than a minute left. Yeah, plenty of time. Yeah, left. your time wasn't a factor. No. So I, I agree, actually. That's what I'm going to say is I think that how it wound up, it was perfectly fine. I mean, that's that's that was, it was a perfectly fine result. Florida managed it excellent. Had we been to where you were, Florida State would have been in trouble time-wise. Florida could have gone for two with probably less than 20, 25 seconds left to try to win the game. Uh, their optionality to outright win was there, and that actually increases your EV. So I think in that case, he did manage the end game scenario correctly. Other times before, it has been vastly incorrect. So mixed bag with stuff, but again, clearly the end of half scenarios for Napier are something he needs to focus on. I think if he thinks he's got that figured out, the data would say otherwise. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, they started talking about this on the broadcast. I was already thinking about it. Well, again, time is a big factor in this. Let, let's say it's sub 30 seconds. We score. Now, we've been really bad at two-point conversions. Our percentage is terrible. You know, you've seen, we've watched this game. Would you have liked for us to go for it? And that's the funny thing is we're so terrible at two-point conversions, and I so dislike our plays mm-hmm. that the answer would be no. But if it's me coaching and it's my team and it's my plays, I'm going for it for sure every time. I love my two-point plays. I love my chances there. I do not like my defense, which is a sieve. Mm-hmm. I'm going for it. But... It's funny you said that because I thought to myself, it is setting up to go for the outright win. I like to go for two when the team doesn't really get the ball back. 10, 12, 15 seconds left. I don't like it with a minute left. Same. Because I think with a minute left, the other team actually plays for overtime, which is to your benefit. When you go for that and you get it, they play to win. And this is kind of like the Sun Tzu art of war, right? You want to leave an escape route. Um, so anyway... Our, our, I mean, I've seen them on film. Our two-point conversions are ugly, and I would have had very little confidence it would have been a good one, despite the fact that we should be excellent. We have a phenomenal running game, a great offensive line, a mobile quarterback. We are so bad at two-point conversions. Uh, if I was coaching this team and, and I had to kind of be an observer, letting Billy do his stuff, and I got to make that choice, I'd probably play for OT and uh, and hope that some, the game was crazy. That anything, our field anything could happen. Be and our field theirs. kicker is better. Um, and I would do it. But again, in almost every other circumstance in a game where their offense is doing what it was doing, I'd be going for two. But that's a great question given our struggles with two-point conversion. I think we're aligned there. Okay, final thoughts here. Before we get to Napier at AR and the staff that we're just going to tease a little bit here. Um, you know, I think if I were a, an FSU fan doing this podcast, I'd be worried. Now, with the caveat, this is a rivalry game and weird stuff happens. 
You barely beat a vulnerable, injured team who's in year one at home in your third year for the program. That your recruiting is behind. That Florida probably wins this game with healthier wide receivers and just a little bit better tactical acumen. But they have time to improve, right? The, the future is ahead. I, you're not firing Norvell after this year, obviously. But I would be nervous that my ceiling is – I'm bumping up against my ceiling already. I think so. I mean, three-year test-wise, Norvell's not passing it. He's definitely not passing the recruiting test. He's below Florida State's baseline. And to your point, that is the reality, right? This is a year one for a Florida team that had a losing record last year that that barely won but won last year versus your team that goes on the road, plays a not-quality game as a team, goes up against your team, which has higher rankings across the board in matchup stats, and you survive Florida being inside your 30-yard line with a first down with time winding down. On top of that, your fans rush the field yeah. to beat a, a bad Florida team. That's weird. Uh, if we're doing a Florida State podcast, I'm like distraught. Like what has happened to our program? This is where we are. Um, we celebrate fans. Yeah, I mean, we this is what we're celebrating. Like that's something that's something to celebrate. We escaped with that win. We were supposed to be a much better team. We're ten point favorites. Uh, and again, I like Norvell. I've said from the beginning, I thought that he's a really good offensive coach. But a three year test is there for a reason. I think he's. I think to me, Norvell is a coordinator. There it is. He's a coordinator. He's a guy that you hire for sure when he gets fired from Florida State. You bring him on as your OC, and you're gonna have a good offense. Nothing about what he's been doing right now says that he's actually going to win anything as a head coach, in my opinion. Doesn't look like it's trending in that direction. Nice season for them. ACC is pretty soft as well. Uh, But I agree with you. I think there's a lot of that narrative out there. I think a lot of Florida fans were upset when they heard that. It was sort of like they felt like Gators were sunshine pumping or accepting the loss. And that's not at all what we're doing here. I think we're literally saying if you're Florida State and this was maybe the worst that Napier's teams could be. Hopefully. If you assume, that's what I'm going to say. If you assume that Napier becomes good at all. Now look, if Napier just doesn't make it and he's not good, then forget it. It's a sign of, it's a sign of probably that Norvell's not good either, but it's hard to find it being a sign that Norvell's ascending, which is what you're saying. On this podcast, we look for one thing and one thing only. A coach is going to ascend to a championship level. That's all we're hunting for, right? Because we believe anything else for Florida is not the goal. That's not the goal. That's why we talk about the three-year test. That's why we talk about, can we get there? We, we follow all these storylines. And again, if you're Florida State, I think to me, Norvell is not the guy that's going to win a title. And this game sort of furthers that. This is the best team he's had. They were eight and three. They barely escaped with a win. It wasn't pretty. A lot of mistakes on their end too. I'm with you. I think that's a very fair take from this. From yeah, this and game. if you're if you're in a different scenario where you're, you're playing great, you're recruiting great, this is a weird game against Florida. You're like, whatever. We won the game against our rival. I'll take it. But as this the as the capstone for your season, it, it's a little troubling. Yeah, everything builds for this. He was saying, right? This is like mm-hmm. Georgia last week versus um, you know Kentucky or whatever it was when they won sixteen to six. Whatever. Georgia's top three recruiting. They're a buzzsaw. They're undefeated. They're they just won the title. They won the title. I mean, it's like fine. That's like to your point. That's fine. But this was like the crowning achievement of Florida State. What you want to do is this particular Florida team where you're rising and they're stumbling is you want to put them down by 20. Correct. We just lost to Vanderbilt. We got issues. We're reeling. And then again, the big key is we don't follow micro recruiting here, but we follow macro recruiting. And Florida State is nowhere near trending to the hemisphere that Florida State should be trending in if they want to become nationally relevant, Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion. All right. Enough soon. I'll talk.
Okay, we're we're gonna try and just touch on this, but because we're gonna do more in, in a couple of weeks here, but the trend line for Napier it's not accelerating as fast as you hope it to be, but I think, in my opinion, the arrow, arrow is still pointing up because of how he looks at things, the culture he's attempting to build, the recruiting base he's attempting to build, that losing these games is not fun and it creates more noise in the system, but it doesn't really deviate the trajectory for me. It just makes it bumpier. And I, I would say that right now, and I reserve the right to maybe change my mind looking a little deeper in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think that's the key. I want to say this again. I think we do our best in this podcast to be reactionary and therefore analytical instead of predictive. Because when you start forecasting stuff until you've got enough data, your forecast is trash. That's why the three-year the three year test is not a one-year test. Mm-hmm. I want to make that very clear. We've gotten a lot of questions. What do you think? What does this mean? And my answer is always, I don't know. He gets three years. Circle back and we'll find out, right? He needs three years. He needs at least two years before he can really get some quality beat on it. Yeah. And in year one, you just can't. There's a lot of issues, but he can fix those issues. I think you there can, can be a one or two year test. There, there can there's be. There's a low end that exactly. you fall below. And we've talked about that with Harson. But like, yeah. you know, after one year, you really, unless things are insane, which they're not here at Florida, mm-hmm. then okay, great. You know, we're recruiting 50th. The team's terrible. You got to get rid of the guy. But that's not where we are. And so I think any, anyone who wants to project or know that, we do not know yet. There are things that concern us, there are things that make us happy. I'm disappointed overall. This was more disappointing than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, my expectations for his ceiling have not lowered, however, in large part because when we hired him, we said he was the long-term three-year test guy. There were going to be some bumps in the road to figure this stuff out. He was not the most gifted, in our opinion, of tactical strategic head coaches. That's not where he excelled. We thought he excelled as a program builder. And I think he's viewing it, to your point, I think he's detrimentally viewing this rebuild in that lens to his own detriment i think he's not this is a big statement to make he's never going to say he doesn't value each one of these games he does he wants to win he's a competitor he wants to win every single one but i think what you said is true Alan. i think when he goes home the soothing aloe for him for these losses is hey i didn't expect to win in year one i didn't expect it and he's kind of alluded to that we've talked about that he's expecting to win in year three he's building himself to get there he knows what he's doing he's got a plan now we're going to find out if that plan works but that part's been both encouraging to me because we love systematic thinkers and discouraging because I think Florida could have been better than six and six this year. And that's partly where maybe if we weren't so systematic, we're there. But we're going to answer the Napier questions all off season long, including into bull week, discussing what are some things he should do? Should he remain OC? Should he bring in a passing game coordinator? Should he have a QB coach? Should we drop the double offensive line guys? Like what could we do? What could he do to potentially increase right? His own EV as a coach. And is it wise for him to keep doing what he's doing? Uh, but I think right now, Alan, for me, you know, this was a disappointing season, but the the major, the major cornerstones of what this program will be are still trending positive, right? The recruiting class looks like we're going to be around top five, potentially. Our next year's class after that looks like it could be top three, potentially. That's what you want to see. That's the first and most important pillar. The team competes extremely hard each and every week. The bonding, the unity seems to be there, right? Those are really important foundational things that we can feel good about. But a lot of the on-field stuff, there's not a lot of reason to feel really good about a lot of the on-field stuff outside of the rushing attack. And that's a, a, a perfectly good reason for Florida fans to be asking tough questions 
and to be concerned. And those are questions Billy Napier is going to need to answer if he wants to become a championship coach. All right. And lastly on AR, he's going to have some choices to make here. I think if he wants to go to the NFL draft, he'll be drafted. We talked a little last week or the week before about is that optimal for him to make that move now? Uh, it's going to be really interesting, the, the feedback that he gets. And, and um, does he decide to stay? I guess there's a world which he transfers. I don't know if that, how, what percentage that is. I'm not, I'm not teasing any info here by any means. But, of course, that option is available to everybody. Um, and so we'll see. What, what does he do? Um, I think that's going to be one of the major offseason storylines. It is. And obviously... And those of you who have listened to this podcast know what our opinion is. You know, if he goes as a top five, top six, top seven guy, the money is there. You can make that monetary decision to go and build and learn. I think strictly skill building wise, you and we said this, I'm just gonna highlight it here in case you missed it. You're much better off building your skills at a level that is more within your grasp, which for him is college football. He's still struggling in college football, right? This is not, this is, this is like chess. You can't go play a grandmaster if you're ranked, you know, 17 or 1800, you can't do it. Like you're going to lose every single time. So for AR, I think it benefits him greatly to get one more year to refine all of these things he needs to refine before he takes on a much, much harder challenge in the NFL where yes, he has the physical tools, but everything else mastering his craft as a quarterback, he's nowhere near that level. All that being said, if you're just looking at money, and somebody wants to take you in the top five, and that's what you value, then you can do that. But if you're thinking of your career, I think a very real argument can be made that his career as a player could potentially reach a higher ceiling if he gets another year of skill building. That's just my opinion. We're going to find out what happens. I saw mock drafts today and yesterday where they still have him in the top five of teams yeah. taking him. That's going to get reevaluated and for sure. of course, look, all it takes is one team to love you, right? And with AR, GMs are going to try to talk themselves into making this guy something. And you better believe they're going to ask their coordinators and their coaches, hey, look at this guy's film. Can you fix the stuff that Billy hasn't been able to? Is it a two-year? Is it a three-year project? What do we need to do? How far away is he? And if those questions come back, hey, I think in two years we can develop this guy to be a starting NFL quarterback. Teams will take him in the top 15 picks. If it's more like, nah, I don't know, man, he might have a 10% hit rate, they're not going to. And so we're going to find out what happens. But I think for me, you know, and for you, Alan, I think he, he's still just not there yet. He's not ready for that craft level. We're going to see. It's going to be a very interesting storyline. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. We're going to get to the rest of the staff. And like you said, all those choices that Billy Napier has. We'll talk more about that next time. Let's go to Coaching Corner. All right, we have two. Uh, we'll do one that occurred on Thanksgiving. The poor Lions. I mean, I was rooting so mm. hard for them. Every Thanksgiving, it's like major heartbreak. So Dan Campbell, who seems like the quintessential, like he can motivate you to run through a brick wall kind of guy, has the Lions in position to win this game. They're driving down the field. Bizarre circumstance occurs where they actually like should have called a timeout earlier. Then the play gets challenged, and they're able to actually get their timeout back, but it's third down and one with 31 seconds left. 
on the opposing sideline is Josh Allen of the Bills, who is notorious for driving down the field, much like Tom Brady would, and giving his team a chance to win. And of course, you already know the story ends if you saw the game, uh, but they do not get it on third and one. They try to throw a go route for a touchdown, which look, I love it. The receiver's open. It's the NFL. Jared Goff does Jared, Jared Goff-like stuff and just whiffs the throw by a mile, which is got to be excruciating that's like a walk-in layup go route touchdown in the nfl you gotta hit that they wind up kicking the field goal the bills get the ball they drive down in like two plays mm-hmm. field goal game over but what's interesting there is obviously there was like 21 seconds left when the review happens it's third and one and the lions could have elected to let the clock keep running they could have chosen that instead of their timeout would you have made that decision with third and one in that situation? I think I'm going to choose to keep Josh Allen off the field. I've got I've got to limit his, my exposure to what he's capable of. He can throw the ball 70 yards if he wants to. So you take a tie, go to overtime, theoretically. I mean, you, maybe not necessarily. It's third yes. down, so let's say you go 20 seconds maybe. Yeah. Third down to one, run your play. If you yeah. get it, you got two shots at the end zone, if not field goal kind of scenario. I, I limit my <laughs> success rate on offense to diminish his opportunities. So I agree with the situation, and I especially agree with it if you're thinking I'm going to take a shot at the end zone. And this is where I think it really matters, right? As a coach, you want to be thinking ahead. So if you think to yourself, I'm going to take a shot here, and you know that. You know it's kind of your feeling. I want yeah, to win the game. Tendency, we're going to beat him on then this. Then you are, you are betting the farm on that play. So you better think in your mind, if I don't get it, how much time do I want to have left for him? And I think that's your answer. Let that thing tick down to 20, call timeout, take your shot play. Doesn't work. 16 seconds, field goal, 13, 12 seconds left. Unbelievably unlikely he gets a field goal off. Still possible. (laughs) Yeah, Chiefs, yeah. Still possible, but way better for you. Instead, they wind up giving them about 26 seconds left, which is, again, the NFL, that's crazy, but they do it all the time. Frustrating thing. All right, second one that occurred in the game we just watched here before we got to the studio on Saturday, Clemson, South Carolina. So Clemson fumbles the punt, right? Mm. There's not necessarily an opportunity for this, but let's say in theory, in theory, they could have let South Carolina score a touchdown to beat down eight. I just want to offer you the option. Would you have tried that? Clemson tried to stop them and get the ball back with maybe 35 seconds left deep in their own territory. Would you have instead tried to let them score and then get the ball back with maybe a minute and a half? Interesting. I think I prefer that, actually, considering what I've been putting on the field offensively and who my quarterback is. Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. I think it's 31-30 as a score. The real question there is— You're losing. Not, you're not tied. No, the real question is, do you are you able to actually have South Carolina mm. like run in the end zone from there? Do they, do they fall down? Because if they fall down, the game is over, and then you look like a total idiot. Clemson had a third down and three or four or five, whatever it was, and South Carolina stopped them. I mean, South Carolina converted to win the game. But interesting question. I think in general, I'm always in favor of trying to get the ball back to control my own destiny to that point. But I think you do have to weigh like the likelihood of that player actually scoring. Is he prepared for that moment if they're far enough away that maybe he doesn't And if you're it. too far, that's the thing. If you're like 50 yards away, which South Carolina kind of was, they're like maybe 40 yards away, is he not going to have somebody yell at him or like what happens? I don't know. But fun Fun thought there. All right, games we picked to recap. Obviously, we are not done with these yet. So we're going to just quickly go over the ones that have occurred. Plenty of them are occurring right now. All right, now we've got Mississippi State taking on Old Miss, where Lane Kiffin did not go to Auburn, despite all the news saying that he was going to go there. We've heard rumors of up to 9 or $10 million per season for a coach who 
kind of didn't close out the season super well. Is not recruiting above baseline, but obviously he's an exciting guy who I think the Ole Miss fans love. Mike Leach gets a W, winning 24-22. Yeah, we were both on this. Felt like Mississippi State just matched up well with them. And yeah, the Egg Bowl, fantastic. Wonky at the end, of course, as it always is. And look, hats off to Mike Leach. Anywhere he goes, including the SEC West, which is super competitive, he wins football games. He's probably never going to win a national title, but if you are Mississippi State, it's hard for me to think that you'd ever want to fire a guy like Mike Leach. I wouldn't. Mm-mm. It's fun football. He can. He's capable of beating anybody at certain times, and uh, obviously you beat your rival there, so a good win. All right, Tulane at Cincy. I took Cincy really back-and-forth game. Tulane gets a touchdown there towards the end to win 27-24, making your pick correct. Yeah. Let's go Green Wave? The Green Wave, yeah. Uh, Baylor at Texas, where I just copied your pick to hopefully bring you down. Uh, we actually both won that one. 38-27, Texas. Close Man. to a really good season this year, but I think if you're a Texas fan, you're probably cautiously optimistic that things are turning Very up. cautiously with the idea that this thing could flip over at any minute. Any minute. Any minute. Yeah. NC State, speaking mm. of flipping over, I think they were down to their scout team quarterback in this so. game. Their scout team quarterback on the road. UNC a six and a half point favorite, and they fall in overtime. UNC does. NC State wins 30 27. Yeah, if you're UNC, you hate the fact that you closed the season this way, considering how fun it was. Not that you had a great team, but you had this in front of you or the very winnable games, and they bricked them. They did. Mac Brown's still doing a great job there, of course, at UNC, but uh, that one that one hurts. South Carolina on the road at Clemson just finished before we got in here. Big L for Clemson. Huge win for South Carolina. Their first time in program history winning over two top 10 teams. And basically, and Beamer said this, it was like their own personal playoff, and he's not wrong. They knocked out two playoff teams in a row. Presumably. Well, I mean, (laughs) in theory. But guys that would have been in, right? If the season had ended that day, they would have been in. So for all practical purposes... What a saboteur. Huge finish. And how is that possible after Florida annihilated them? I guess you're at that level. There's a lot of variance, but I mean, they are riding high this offseason. I mean, to snap that Clemson streak, and if you're Clemson, man, this is a brutal nut kick. Not that you're going to win the championship this year, considering who's left in the field, but you're you're essentially now on the door of the playoff with the other stuff that's happened. Tennessee losing, Ohio State getting shellacked which we'll talk about in a second. And then you're a win away from a North Carolina team that just lost to NC State away from making the playoff, you know, probably when you shouldn't, but you're still right there. Yeah, really really just remarkable Clemsoning from Clemson. Something we haven't had to say about Clemson in a long time. Right. That was some Clemsoning, dropping two punts, et cetera. But for South Carolina, this is why I want to see an expanded playoff. South Carolina wouldn't be in it, but – I'm saying this to say, like, you just do not know. If this season in college football has proven anything to any of you as fans, you do not know who's going to win these games. You do not. You just don't know it. And week to week, it's a very different environment, and that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it so much fun. And that is a great finish to the season for South Carolina. Uh, You joked during the game they'll give them some humongous buyout and extension now and lock in Beamer forever. Uh, which they might. That's the they way things will. seem to go, right? All right, Michigan at Ohio State. You and I both booked Michigan. We said, look, same roster from last year. Michigan handled them last year. Michigan really handles them this year. Close game until the mid-fourth quarter, but Michigan runs with it 45-23. Yeah, you know, this is weird because I, I could have seen this going two ways. I was torn. Is the Michigan going to overpower them offensively? You know, Even without Blake Corum, 
felt kind of iffy, but they they really turned on. JJ McCarthy plays really well. And now if you're Ohio State, you're feeling in a weird spot. You you've run over everybody else, but no one else really challenged you until you now got invested by your rival twice. Yeah, that's exactly right. And obviously for Harbaugh, one of the quietest undefeated seasons we can recall in memory, sort of just not playing anyone, but the one game they did need to play right here, they won convincingly. On the road. They have not won every game convincingly, if you follow them, but they get this one done. Going to be interesting to see what happens with them, of course, next week, what happens with the playoff. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. Other games going on right now, we've got Alabama up a couple scores on Auburn in the fourth, uh, Oregon up a couple scores on Oregon State, moving late in that game as well, and then TCU just shellacking Iowa State. Uh, Daytona Steve's homer parlay, Allen, was close. U.S. got a draw versus uh, England in a thrilling game, and then Florida, of course, had a chance to win that game, but unfortunately does not come up paying out. All right, let's move to news, and then we'll move to the playoff talk. Yeah. So I I don't know if it's official official, but seemingly official Matt Rule gets hired by Nebraska. I I like these for both sides here. I think it's a great fit for him. I think it's a great fit for them. Might not work out, but ideal hire by them. I I think he's going to be successful there. That's a great hire. We talked about Matt Rule being a candidate for the Auburn job. Apparently he never was. Uh, But yeah, I think if you're a Nebraska fan, that's a home run. For sure. And yeah, maybe just not a fit at Auburn, um, but feels like a real fit here. Feels like a perfect, that's a, I mean, if you can win at Baylor, in theory, you can win at Nebraska, um, given your connections, what it's like to recruit there, et cetera. And Baylor's been successful, but I think that's a good hire for them. All right. Now it seems like Auburn is down to Hugh Freeze. I, I this is running on the ESPN bottom line that they are offering him the job. Seems like right now, as we're recording, Lane Kiffin is going to stay at Ole Miss and that looks like Auburn's just going to do the thing and hire Hugh Freeze. And I think it's going to work, at least in the short term. But are you making a deal with the devil here? Who knows? They're ready. They're they're obviously desperate. Um, I mean, I think here's what you're thinking, right? You're thinking that Hugh Freeze got busted for doing things that are now legal. Legal. Mm-hmm. That's the thought. The world has changed. He wasn't necessarily, at least that we know of, doing other nefarious things. Well, he was, but uh, right, right. But he's you know he rebuilt he's rebuilt himself in college football. It's very uh, you know very grace oriented. In fact, I recall we had a podcast with one one Russell Flint, who was our old Miss insider, who who. Uh, <laughs> very humorously said there was no way that Hugh Freeze was cheating. And we were like, I don't know, man, there's a lot of smoke here. And of course that very same year it all came out, but I would not feel good about this from an Auburn fan just because I do. This is just, I guess just me. I don't want my coach to have such a tainted past, but make no mistake about it. Hugh Freeze at a school where he can do the things he was obviously already really good at blurring the lines with what's allowed, not allowed payment wise with boosters who will do anything to win. I think is what they're talking themselves into. He's obviously a very good football coach. He wins games. And offensively, they're going to be fun again. And they will be fun again. And I think that's really what they're looking for. They want that identity. Uh, So it brings another very good football coach into the SEC if it happens. So I think right now they're going to have to go through some due diligence, make sure that nobody really objects to this in their heavy-laden booster land because of the aforementioned reasons. But that could be interesting. And this is just total rumor, but... Dion being offered by Colorado. If you're Colorado, you absolutely hire him. I think there's a lot of schools that should hire him just because he's a lottery ticket. And if you're Colorado, what do you have to lose? I think there's, you know, Georgia Tech should try to hire him. 
There's a lot of schools that feel like, hey, wait, you're going to go to Colorado? Hey, come over here instead. I mean, I think UCF, USF is looking at him. That would be a, a great hire for them. I I selfishly would rather him much be much more out west at Colorado where it doesn't really touch us. But, uh, yeah, USF would be a problem for us too. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't see Dion leaving the South personally. I don't think he's going to, I think he'd go to California, but that's not on the table right now, but I don't think he's going to go to Colorado. That would surprise me. Tough school to win at hard to recruit at. I think he's smart enough to know that he wants to stay in the South. That's where he's going to have his best. I think recruiting success in general. I, I, I mean, I think the, the sky is, you know, is just for Dion is like, is all the way to the moon. He's like in the atmosphere. Like we said this, right? He's a lottery ticket. If he hits, he's going to hit so big, which is how he's hitting right now at Jackson State. He is running over people there. And that's what you take a shot for. In my opinion, if I'm hiring coaches, I'm looking for that guy. That's what you want. He seems to be committed to coaching. He seems to really like it. He's all about it. I think he's using Colorado personally to try to do what you said. Other schools now that maybe were like, is is it too early for Dion? Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If a D1 school and a real conference is doing it, we need to get in on him. And I think he's wisely trying to build that momentum and get himself a job that he does like. But I would be surprised if he took one that he does not think is going to match up with his skill set well so he can win. All right, thanks to our friends from HelloFresh, which is America's most popular meal kit. The holidays, at least one of them, has already passed. There's many more coming here around the corner, and HelloFresh makes this time of year better than ever with chef-crafted recipes and pre-proportioned ingredients delivered right to your door so you can spend less time meal planning and prepping. On previous episodes, you've heard us talk about our resident dietitian, Amber, and how she provided a full breakdown on her Instagram, Everyday Amber May. So if you want to see what these meals look like, how they taste, the whole thing, you can check that out right there for a personal review. If you want 70% off of meals from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash GNFP70 and use the code GNFP70, again, for 70% off plus free shipping. Okay, next week is championship game weekend. Uh, We don't know most of the matchups, so we can't really talk about them. Um, And even the lines aren't really out yet. And so let's just talk about the ACC and SEC real quick. Clemson, North Carolina, all the juices out of this, right? These were two teams that were potentially alive for the playoff a couple weeks ago, and now you're just blah. You know, still be fun for North Carolina, I'm sure, to win a conference championship. But, yeah, talk about no juice. Yeah, no juice at all. And that's why we're not going to say anything more about that game because that one uh, no longer matters, really. Now, the SEC championship – has a lot of appeal for one side. I think Georgia is in the playoff. We're going to get to playoff talk in a second. Is in LSU has a chance here to, if they win, I, I think they're in um, with those caliber of wins on their resume. I, I think they're in. So LSU here, how do you like them against Georgia from this vantage point? I think they can compete with Georgia. I mean, I think we've seen them compete with a variety of teams. We know that Georgia has weaknesses, especially on offense. I think the LSU's defense, it's hot or cold, right? LSU's offense can score. It can move the ball on people. I mean, I think Georgia's the favorite here for good reason, but LSU is a team that's equipped to be able to beat Georgia. I think Brian Kelly, as we know, in my opinion, has remained and is an upper echelon coach. (laughs) 
We saw him beat Nick Saban, obviously, a weaker Alabama team. We saw him do it. Uh, LSU's on a roll. They've won close games. They're battle-tested. I don't think those players are going to have any fear of Georgia at all. Georgia's a juggernaut this year that doesn't strike fear into their opponents, if that makes sense. That's a good way to say that. Yeah, as a player, I don't think you match up with them and think, man, I'm nervous about that. You're not. And I think that's going to prime LSU for a chance to knock them off. I'm not going to say they're going to, but to your point, to answer your question, I think this is potentially a positive matchup for LSU. And I think Brian Kelly is... He's been waiting many years for these moments to compete with the big boys, with athletes that are in the same neighborhood. Yeah, the line that I saw was Georgia by 16, and I think I would take Georgia here. If, th- it's, if it's 16, I'm taking LSU. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be able to lock down what LSU likes to do. I think they're going to be able to limit, I don't know, some of the like the Jaden Daniels-ness of it. Oh, they will for sure, yeah. yeah. I and, think the storyline is going to be, don't you think it's going to be LSU's defense? I think Georgia's going to get beat. If you can hold them at 20 points or so, that's going to be the real key. Right. That's true. That's true. And man, when they've wanted to, they've been pretty spry on offense. I think that the, the, the fact that Georgia can't compete offensively or isn't that skilled, they, they put up points and Bennett's been playing well. And I think weirdly he's got a chance to win the Heisman because everybody else has kind of fallen out. Yeah. Bizarre year. He does. You're right. And so if you're looking to reward a Georgia player, he'd be the one. Yeah. What a story that would be. Crazy. All right, so just quickly, playoff talk is a mess, right? So I think UGA is in, presumably Michigan that they beat. If they lose in the Big Ten championship, you know, (laughs) they could take a bad loss. Could be dicey. Things are going to play nuts. I don't know if this Purdue game is over. They're going to play Purdue or Iowa or somebody like that. Which would be a really bad loss if they took that as a loss. But either way, presumably in. We talked about LSU winning if they're in, if they – they lose i think they're out yeah out with a loss in with a win for sure tcu looks like they're gonna win today yep they're blowing the doors off iowa state right now and i think i don't know they might be in now regardless because of the rest of the field i think it's probably that way of course they could take a loss in their championship right game, i guess a really good team they're gonna play again yeah i think i think they're okay i think tcu i'm with you i think tcu is in no matter what now with today's win you never know though uh, so then it goes down to you know, then USC, I think if they win out, if they win today. So you got Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and a fourth, the fourth spot kind of is what we're saying. Right. There's a lot of stuff up. So then you get, yeah, USC if they win. Right. They should be, they got to, they got to beat Notre Dame today. Which is a big, that, that's going to be a good win for them. Right. Notre Dame obviously playing very well. And then they have to beat, I believe, Oregon in the championship. Which will game. be another big, yeah. And so if they win those two, they're locked in. They're obviously. definitely locked in. Mm-hmm. I think if they brick one, they're probably out. And then if they brick one, that's where stuff gets to be wild. And that's yes. what we're going to talk about is assume that USC bricks one and then LSU doesn't beat Georgia. Right. Because that's easy. If LSU beats Georgia, then we have Georgia, LSU, Michigan, TCU. Mm-hmm. Layup. But if LSU Or maybe loses, USC jumps TCU or something like that. Sure. But, you know, you're going to get LSU and Georgia in yeah. for sure. But let's assume LSU loses. So you have Georgia, Michigan, and TCU. This is the scenario we're in. Then USC loses. Let's say they lose tonight to Notre Dame. Sure. Now, stuff gets wild. So all of a sudden, Oregon's back in the picture. So you have a, you have a ten and two or eleven and two Oregon, if they, especially if they win the Pac twelve. Let's say they beat USC and win yeah. it, right? Ohio State still has to be involved. Ohio State the, would have only one loss to right. Michigan. It was like, bad. Oh, it was out. at home. It was ugly. But <laughs> people don't want to hear this. Is that Bama's music? coming through that they're going to get looked at. I don't know if they'll get in, but they're going to get looked at. Yeah. 
And if let's let's quickly just go through the rankings because if you haven't looked at them, here's mm-hmm. what we're looking last at. Last week's, yeah. Last week's rankings: Georgia number one, Ohio State number two, Michigan number three. All right, Ohio State's going to slide down. TCU's number four. So let's go: Georgia, Michigan, TCU. There's your one, two, three. Number five is LSU. We're assuming they lose and they're out. Number six is Southern Cal. We assume they lose. They're ten and two. Who's number seven? Alabama. Bama. So now you have who's who's number eight? Clemson. Well, Clemson has just played themselves out. Who's number nine? Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then you have Tennessee. And, and then it's off a cliff. Penn yeah. State, Kansas State, Washington, Utah. None of those teams are in. So you're looking at realistically, right? Oregon, Tennessee, Alabama, and then Ohio State. And which I, think, I don't think anybody wants Ohio State in because of the fact that they've got beaten the one game that really mattered at home. But I mean, this is going to be wild if this occurs. It's going to be messy because I don't think the committee wants to put Tennessee team in without Hendon Hooker. This is like the, uh, gosh, I'm forgetting his name. Last name Martin played for Cincinnati in the early 90s. They were, I can't believe I'm breaking it, Kenyon Martin. Oh, yeah. They basically yes. downgraded them as a seed line, even though they were like undefeated. Or right. not undefeated, but close to it. They were going to be the number one overall seed. He gets injured like in the last game, and they moved them down. And I think this is the Tennessee's the committee's going to look at Tennessee and say, "I, you just got the doors kicked in by South Carolina, and you lost your quarterback." The problem is they have that win over Bama. That's and a problem. Yeah. So maybe you end up with Ohio State sliding back in because nobody else is palatable enough. Which would be so bad. So right now, if you're if you're the Pac-12, you've been sorely missing in the playoffs, and you are like this. Yeah. And this is true. This is your moment. The floodgates are here for you. To your point, Alan, I think you have multiple ways in. I think if Oregon wins out, they're going to lean Oregon over the other teams. Nobody wants to see Bama. It's a different story. It's a, the Pac-12 has been begging to get in there. And obviously, if USC wins out, but if that does not happen, you're deciding between Bama, Ohio State, maybe Tennessee, and look, Bama. Bama starts to get the, you know, yeah. I mean, I just don't think anybody wants to put Ohio State in. And, and why should they? The SEC is a way better league this year, right? We'll talk about this in our recap with Florida, how just how hard of a schedule Florida played this year. We're not going to make excuses for Napier. We are a more talented team in a lot of games. But this schedule, given the SEC the way it was, remarkable league this year. You cannot say the same thing for the Big Ten this year. This was no. not a good Big Ten Wisconsin is down. Every, Iowa is yeah, clunky. just not good. So to put Ohio State in would feel wrong, but this is this this could get to be and, true madness. And then you might have an Oregon team who would slide in at four, having to play Georgia, who destroyed them, beat the brakes off them, killed them. We know the committee leans towards game one not mattering as much, but man, oh man, just crazy stuff. Can't get to an expanded playoff quickly enough, in my opinion, so we don't have the committee having to make these decisions so narrowly. But either way, Alan, we will chronicle this stuff for you. But it's going to be, now that you're clued into it, uh, it's going to be really interesting stuff. All right. Just a few other items here. Florida loses to Xavier in basketball. Xavier shoots the lights out. They go down. They don't get a chance to play a higher-seeded team, but then smoke Oregon State. So I think we're both encouraged overall by Florida basketball. The fact that they can score like this, that I think that that's excellent. And then maybe some of that shooting percentage is going to slide down a little bit. Yeah, we'll follow your one. I, I love Golden's quotes after the game. I think he's, again, for a guy who's, this is kind of funny between him and Napier. For a guy who's truly analytical, Golden is it. Like what he says after is what you would expect a very analytical person to say. Napier still trends more as like the culture coach 
over a guy who talks a lot about analytics. Golden is all analytics. And so I think Florida's been unlucky. You know, two teams they've played, and they've created their own unluckiness with some poor defense. But two teams they played have shot above 50% from three. But to me, the most encouraging thing is what you said, Alan. This is a basketball team for several years that couldn't score points. And look, it's tons of turnover. But now in almost every game, Florida's scoring more than 80 on every opponent. Oregon State held Duke, who doesn't look very good, uh, to 51 points. And the next day, Florida scored you know 88 on them with ease. And so a lot of high-quality shots, a lot of layups, great ball movement. I think early in the season, you want your team to have good offense. I think you can figure defense out. So I am cautiously optimistic this team is going to do some things that are going to be nice. At the very least, it's always more fun to watch your team play great offense and lose than to not score. Uh, so keep following the golden the golden era, and we'll see what happens. We'll kind of give you the loose updates throughout the year. Uh, but they play on Sunday. If you're catching this before then, they're going to play on Sunday in their final game of that uh, that tournament in the loser's bracket. All right, and next week we're going to do more of a season wrap-up. Well, I guess not really next week. Whenever James is back from the Middle East. Yeah, this will be like December probably 12th. Monday the 12th, we'll be back on the air. And, yeah, we'll kind of catch you up on all the happenings of college football. We'll look ahead to what lies ahead for Florida, recruiting, bowl season, stuff like that. And, yeah, wish we were coming into this moment after a big win over FSU, but – a lot of off-season questions. It's going to be an interesting time here in Gainesville, and we'll start to get you ready for that. Yeah, we'll be here for all those moments. Thanks for listening. As always, somehow we stretched this podcast into almost two hours. I think we both thought it was going to be much shorter, but we knew we were going to be gone for a while. So there we have it. Uh, on behalf of Alan, I'm disappointed with this loss to Florida State. I know he is too. But now we turn our attention towards building the program. This is where most of the work gets done in the off-season. And like we did last year, We'll begin to turn our attention to all of those topics. We'll keep you informed all throughout the year. It's been a great season being with you, despite the fact it was not great on the field. And we look forward to a great postseason with you as well. Until next time, see you guys next time.